I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 288 of the podcast. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action that is coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, we are heading to the UK today, and I will be joined by a best-selling author who wrote a book called The Double Dangerous Book for Boys. Con Igledon joins me today. And if you have a young son out there, I guarantee if you get him these books, they will love it. Con will be here with me in just a few minutes to tell you all about it, so please stick around for the interview. And I have had many requests from my European listeners to have some more UK dads on the podcast. We have been a top 25 parenting podcast in Great Britain several times. I've had the honor of having so many wonderful dads join me here from several different parts of Europe. And I really love what Con Eagleton has done here by creating the Dangerous Book for Boys series. He sent me an advanced copy a while back of his new book, and I gave it to my 13-year-old son, who simply devoured it. It contains such a wide variety of information and fun things for them to do. Everything from how to make the world's best paper airplane, to chess openings, how to tie a Windsor knot, how to make a board game, and so much more. The best part about it all is that it is not on a screen. It involves actually turning the pages out of curiosity, and it keeps the kids engaged with a book in their hand. So if you never heard about these books, I will have a link in the description of today's podcast episode. I highly recommend you just tap the link and get over there and check out more about them. Tomorrow on the podcast, I will have a dad here who has lived a double dangerous life. He crushed what is known as the most difficult military training in the world to become a United States Navy SEAL. And then after years of being a SEAL, he transferred to the Army and became part of the most elite flying unit in the world, the 160th SOAR. Michael Rutledge went from Frogman to Night Stalker pilot. He joins me here tomorrow for a very special Frogman Friday edition of First Class Fatherhood. So lock it in for that. And please, guys, help me spread the word about this show to every father that's in your neighborhood or in your contact list. Let them know about the show that celebrates fatherhood and family life. Fatherhood rocks. Family values rule. And every day is Father's Day right here with me. And I will be right back with best-selling author Con Igledon. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. Hey dads, are you looking to boost your energy level? Strikeforce Energy has got you covered. With a Strikeforce Energy Packet, you can turn any beverage into an energy drink. Their original energy packets contain no sugar, no calories, just an explosion of energy and flavor added to any beverage. Strikeforce Energy is veteran-owned, and all their products are made right here in the United States. Co-founded by Navy SEAL Sean Matson, Strikeforce Energy blows away the energy drink competition. Right now, First Class Fatherhood listeners can save 15% off their purchase by visiting StrikeforceEnergy.com and using the promo code FATHERHOOD. Strikeforce Energy turns any beverage into an energy drink. Get yours today. StrikeforceEnergy.com, promo code FATHERHOOD. Uh, joining me now, First Class Father, Con Ingledon. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Ah, thank you very much. All right, let's start here. How many kids do you have and how old are they? I have four, two boys, two girls. The oldest son is uh, 19, that's Cameron. He was one of my co-authors. The youngest son is 11, just turning 12 in a few days, and I have two daughters, one 16, that very difficult age, with a 16-year-old boyfriend, by the way, and a uh, a 13-year-old daughter as well. They all turn in in January. They're pretty good kids. Yeah, God bless you there. Yeah, I have four myself. I have three boys, then we got our girl on the end there, so... (laughs) <laughs> that's lovely that is lovely I like yeah, the families it's, it's yeah I mean it was 
one of the things I did to write this book, really, you know, we do an awful lot of things together. I do things with my sons. And also as a family, we play cards together and invent stupid games. I mean, this is, a, I think it's a nice thing to do. I think it's good for them. Yeah, I think it's definitely overlooked today. A lot of times when I tell people that I have four kids, they look at me like I got six heads, and they're like, wow, that you know, it's unheard of today in a sense. Like, Yeah, I, I get that as well. But then I, so I also see when other people come into our house, and it's, it is always noisy. I've got three dogs as well, so it's always three dogs and a rabbit. There's always chaos. There's always someone shouting. There's always someone, uh, you know, or singing or telling us, you know, telling a joke or a story. And I, I like that liveliness. I grew up in a house that was much quieter. I think I always wanted a bit of rough and tumble around me. I think it's good for them. It's good for me, too. It, it brings me out of myself. You've got to remember, I'm, I'm an author. Most of my life is spent where I am at this moment, up in the attic, um, staring out across a valley, which is very quiet. And, uh, you know, it, it could be potentially a bit lonely. It's nice for me to have the, the life and the, uh, the, the shouting. Yeah, yeah, very well said. What type of uh, sports have you, are your kids into growing up here? Well, my son's a, he's a taekwondo black belt. It's in fact one of the things we did at a fairly early age. I did it for a few years until I tore a hamstring, dislocated my kneecap, and broke the metatarsal in my right foot, all within a period of about four months. And I thought at the time, you know what? Before I can't walk, I should stop this. But he carried on because, you know, to be young is just heaven. He carried on because he, he could recover from any injury. He also plays rugby, and admittedly, he did also break his leg doing that. So he's got some metal work inside there that we're, we're wondering how to take it away. But, I mean, this is uh, something I think boys need to do. They need to test their courage. Um, if you just leave it in a box and you never test it at all, you never know what you're capable of. And it, it, it's important. Um, I said silly things like when I was sparring in Taekwondo, the, and I was sitting there exhausted, exhausted to the point of feeling like I was going to die. And the instructor came over and said, look, you're standing here with your hands on your knees. He said it will, ta- it will hurt you a little bit more to stand up straight and look the next competitor in the eye, but they won't immediately assume that they're going to win. If you sit there with your hands on your knees, breathing like a bellows, they will know they're going to win. And he was right. Little moments like that, little lessons, just testing your own courage and forcing, finding out what your own limits are are important. I mean, my girls do roller hockey. They all do that together in a local school and uh you know as i say they all play netball and cricket and everything else and it's an important part of life i guess it it's uh it helps you to get strong and get out and get outside yeah very cool if you could con please hit me if you could just take a minute here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do my background um i it's i have a sort of fairly unusual i mean my dad was born in 1923 his dad was born in 1850 so he had my father when he was 73, and it means when Wild Bill Hickok came to England, my grandfather went to see his Wild West show. Um, so in just two generations, we, we go back, oh, I think it's 169 years. And uh, that means that I grew up with a lot of old-fashioned books in the house, with things like 101 Chemical Amusements for Boys. So I, I wrote historical fiction. That was my main career, Julius Caesar and Genghis Khan, and you know, great stories from the past. What I wanted to do when my son was born, I wanted to do a book of that sort, an old, a sort of boy's own annual, things to do, things to know, uh, unusual secret knowledge. And I put it together in about 2006, 2007, and it, it did really well. It turned out there were a lot of people out there who cared about exactly the same things. So uh, I wrote that with my brother in a shed. This one I wrote with my two sons. Um, so the younger one would come home and he'd say, I, I did sign language today and I could sign across the class you know, behind the teacher's back, I can say hi to anyone. 
and little things like that, or he brought home folding a paper frog or how to do the Rubik's Cube. And I realized there's an awful lot of things I want to put into another volume, different stories of courage and different things to do. And that takes me up to, uh, to pretty much to this book and uh, 2019. Yeah, yeah. I, I love the books. I'm going to jump into that in a second here. But, you know, being that your family goes back so many years, what, what was the experience like for you when you first became a father? How did that kind of change your perspective on life? Well, the first, I mean, my son, I was expecting the first time. There hadn't been a girl born to my male line for, I think it was 110 years. And I was pretty confident that, uh, you know, it was going to be a son. We, we, didn't, we didn't know. We didn't unwrap the package before Christmas. But it changed me. It changed me completely. I was before then, and I was, hang on, how old was I? About 28. I was, uh, no, 26. I was, uh, I think, I hadn't fully grown. You know, I wasn't, a, I wasn't a mature man. I was working, and I was holding down a job, and I, I was married. But I, I had a lot of growing to do. Being a father was a different role for me, and an important one. It turned out, I was less patient before I had kids, for example. I would lose my temper and put my foot through something. And that's something that I won't say it's completely left me, but it's something I control enormously now. I don't, oh, I don't lose my temper in front of the kids. I never, I never swear in front of them or anything like that. They don't think I know how to swear, as I do, but I keep it to myself because when I'm with them, I try to be the best man I can possibly be. And that is, I think that's, a, that's a, what a good father should be trying to do. And then if I fail, of course, you know, usually it's in private. <clears throat> this is about the best you can hope for. Yeah, very well said. And the response to your first book was overwhelming there. And I think the best part of your books is that it does play to the old school boyhood stuff without the technology, which is so prevalent today. Uh, did did yeah. your kids, did, did they grow up uh, playing the video games and stuff? How did you kind of handle the technology with them? Well, I mean, we, I think there's probably more evidence now than we, we had when the first book came out that screen time has to be limited. I mean, it's not just the things you can see online. It's just literally how long you spend staring at a screen. It, it, it's not a good thing. And I, at the same time, I'm aware that this book, and you know, it can never, <laughs> it can never replace the internet. These are things to do as well as. But yes, I must admit, if I had, um, if I had to suggest something for the kids to do, I'd rather they, oh, I don't know, made a bow and arrow and went out and tried to shoot something with it, than six hours playing crossy whatever it is, Crossy Bird or, you know, one of the apps that just takes, uh, steals away your hours and you don't get much for it except a sore thumb and frustration. It's always seemed to me that boys in particular don't know how to be men. They need to be shown. They look around for role models and if they're not taught it, they can end up with huge gaps in their knowledge. So uh, books like this, fathers, you know, like this, are just basically people trying to pass on that good stuff, I would have thought. I mean, the uh, the apps don't really do that, as fun as they are. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more there. And I'm glad to see that your books, are, you know, that they, they are getting the play that they are getting, just because there is an attack, I feel like, on the family life. And, and there's definitely a fatherless problem that we have here in the United States. And, and it just yeah. seems like there's an attack on masculinity all the way around. And it's great to see uh, something out here that gears is geared towards uh, allowing boys to be boys while they grow up here. Um, that was that was the plan for this. I mean, it was always about celebrating what's, what boys particularly like doing. You know, I, as I say, I have two daughters. We give some of the things together as a family. But when you look at a list of subjects like, I don't know, making a treehouse or um, picking a lock, for example, that was something. <laughs> when I was a kid, I, was, I really wanted to know how to do it, and somehow I never learned. So 
So I put it in the chapter here. It's not really for my daughters. They weren't as fascinated by the Rubik's Cube as my son was. And when I've got a chapter in here about um, advice from fighting men, for example, that is very specifically because when I was a kid, I really wanted to know how to, how to, how to take, self-defense, we'll call it, but how to take a punch and how to give one. So, I, you know, I, this is the kind of thing I think is important for them to know. You can't do everything with one book. You can't change the whole world, but maybe you can just change a little part of it. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And I, I bring on a lot of Navy SEALs on the show here, and I love their mindset of, uh, of it's similar, where it's like they make themselves comfortable being uncomfortable, and they really challenge themselves. And I think that their books are awesome for our generations to read here. Yes. Yes, it is. And apart from anything else, there is, in the male psyche, a love of competence. It almost doesn't matter what the subject is, but we want to be competent about it. And it might be working with our hands. It might be becoming expert at a particular subject. But there's a satisfaction in that. And I do think we lose track of that in schools because we tend to treat boys and girls just the same. And in many ways, that's a good thing. But in some ways, it does, we ignore that at our peril. Boys like to become experts at some things, but competent at a load of things. They like to collect skills. And that's, that's a good thing. That's part of the male psyche. It means that uh, you know, men are good at a huge range or ordinarily competent at a huge range of different things. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's, uh, it's one of those things you've learned to be, you know, from a boy to be a man. It's, it's a good thing. Yeah, definitely. I think it's something to be embraced for sure. And what was it like for you to collaborate now with your sons on the second book, the Double Dangerous book? Dads, are you tired of taking supplements that never deliver? Well, Redcon One was created to ensure that you get real hardcore products that deliver real results. Trusted by four-time world's strongest man, Brian Shaw, and founded by supplement entrepreneur, Aaron Singerman, Redcon One is crushing the industry. You have to try their MRE bars, which are packed full of nutritious food sources that will replenish your system when you need it most. And they taste so good, your toddler will think they're eating a candy bar. But we're talking whole food meal replacement. And right now, First Class Fatherhood listeners can save 20% on their entire order from Redcon 1. Simply use the promo code FATHER at the checkout. So let's go, dads. For the highest state of readiness, choose Redcon 1. Visit Redcon1.com, use the promo code FATHER, and save 20%. And what was it like for you to collaborate now with your sons on the second book, The Double Dangerous Book? Uh, the Double Dangerous, it was, it was great. I mean, the, the first book was with my brother. We were working in the shed, and we didn't know if anyone would like the book. I, I, I hope people you know, enjoy this book in the same way because it's partly the things that I didn't manage to put in the first book and wanted to, but just there wasn't enough room. Also, all the things that people have suggested since. But most of it has come from my sons coming to me and saying, Oh, you've got to do this. I, I did it in school. I folded a paper frog and made the thing jump. Or my son was doing Greek legends and told me the ones that he enjoyed. And we all went to see a particular speaker, the best war story I've ever heard, a man who was at El Alamein and Arnhem. And then he was in Dresden when American and British planes came over and blew it to pieces. And his prison was blown open and he could have escaped, but he decided to go back and help the people of Dresden. The best, I think, the best war story that's, that's ever been told, and it's almost unknown. So we put all that stuff in there because it was, it was all new, and it all needed telling. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I, you know, obviously, I have a copy of the Double Dangerous book, and I, I gave it to my oldest son, who's thirteen. And the other day, he pulled a uh, a, a different chess open. We always play chess here, 
And uh, I asked him where he got that, and he said he got it from the book. So I was like, oh, you see? <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. That's exactly the right sort of age. We said 8 to 80 on the first book. But, of course, I had I, I had well, for example, I had uh, divorced dads telling me that they, if they only had their sons for a couple of weekends a month, they would you know, get the book and use a couple of things from it. And that was a nice thing to hear. But an awful lot of them I had from, from mothers who bought it for their sons or for their or for their their husbands or something like that. I had a lot of mothers who bought it for their husband, their sons as they got married. So they were adult sons, but they sort of felt they would enjoy the, the basic idea of the book. That's all you can ask for, really. Yeah, definitely. And one thing that's definitely different, I mean, like I said, I have three boys and then a girl. And one thing that's been yeah. different for me is the way that I discipline my kids. I definitely changed my, my style when it came to my daughter. So what, what type of disciplinarian are you as a dad? Ah. Uh, as I said earlier, I mean, I'm, more, I'm far more patient than I ever was because I think, I think as you get older, you realize, oh, you realize you, it's not that you've got more time, but you realize that some things just don't matter as much as they should. I, I, to some extent, I wear a role. I, 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 if I have to, I will. I'll raise my voice with the kids and I'll be very stern with them. I've got a good stern voice. I can be, uh, I can stop them doing things if I have to. But yeah, it is, it's still difficult for me to take something seriously i suppose because i know that it doesn't really matter but i'll raise them i'll do i'll do my very best to, to pass on discipline to them the girls are different i very often pass them over to my my wife and i, I know that's uh that's a terrible thing to say but you know i i might try and criticize something and then frankly i'll get a very strange response that i don't even understand and you know two days later i'll be saying but i, I just don't understand what happened with that conversation it just went off the rails i lost it completely i <laughs> I understand the psyche of boys a fair bit better than my 16-year-old daughter. And uh, when I'm trying to explain to her why it was a mistake to get her navel pierced. <laughs> yeah. My, my daughter's only five, so I'm really trying to callous my mindset for when that all comes to me here. Oh, dear God. You know, I yeah, I had um, her boyfriend came to the house, and we had a load of conkers and horse chestnuts on the uh, the side, and they were looking beautiful and brown and shiny. and I said, you know what those are? And he said, oh, yes, I used to collect those when I was a kid. And I said, have you ever played Conkers then? And he said, what do you mean, play Conkers? I thought, well, hang on, what the heck did you, what did you collect them for then if you weren't <laughs> playing them? But the, the point is, if, if you don't teach this stuff, then it just doesn't, it doesn't get taught. Uh, it, isn't, uh, it doesn't magically, boys don't magically know how to, I don't know, tie knots and do uh, woodwork joints and fix things when they break in the house. They have to learn. And I think perhaps they sometimes have to learn that they've got to learn. They need to be told that as well. If you look at uh, some of the famous figures in history who lost their fathers at an early age, they ended up with a sort of uh, ruthless ambition that might have been uh, good for making empires but wasn't that great for themselves and themselves as people. I'm thinking of people like Genghis Khan. I mean, he lost his father at the age of about 11. Julius Caesar lost his father at the age of, I think it was about 13. I did once say to my son that if, if I, if I uh, needed him, if he thought he would you know, go out and conquer the world, I think the best thing I could do is drop dead right now, I said to him. He was 13 at the time. But the, the point is, if your father is around, he can show you a version of masculinity which involves patience, for example. And my dad was a very patient man. And he was trying to explain maths to me, and I wasn't getting it. And it was near midnight, and that the thing had to be done the following day, and I was practically in tears. He was enormously patient, and he would take me through it again and again and again until I got it. And that taught me something valuable, and it is valuable, and it's something that when it's missing from the world, we all know about it. 
Yeah, and, and we definitely see, uh, you know, especially over here, uh, wherever there's this fatherless problem, we always see a big rise yeah. in, in crime, drug rate, teenage pregnancy, the whole bit. And it's usually, uh, wherever this location is, it usually has like a 65% or higher percentage of fatherless homes. Yes, I mean, that's true. You know, it's funny, my, my mother, it's not funny, it's a horrible thing to say, but my mother reminded me years ago that one of the nasty problems in concentration camps, she said, were female guards. She said, um, you know, because even the, the worst male guards from the stories of people who were there sometimes could be appealed to. They might give you a square of chocolate or they might smile. But the, the women, oh, my goodness, they were absolute horrors. Not at all. There was, no, uh, there was none of that kindness at all. And it's, it's, it's a big part of the male psyche, and it's something we need to promote because without it, as you say, you get a kind of polarized male who's all about the violence and the gang and all the rest of it. He forms his own role models in the wrong places. Because they look for role models and they will take them anywhere they can get them. And that yeah. big part of the male, the male psyche, that ability to laugh at something terrible, that ability to be kind and to make a stupid joke even when it's a, a really dark thing that's happening. I mean, you know, that's, that's a vital part of the male psyche and the human psyche. We need it. Yeah, definitely. And, and since you, you do all these things in the books, have you ever considered uh, doing something like a YouTube channel or have your kids ever asked you, hey, why don't we get this stuff on YouTube and show people how to do it? I haven't got round to thinking about video stuff. No, I mean, I'm, you know, maybe a bit, I wouldn't rule it out completely, but I'm happier with paper. I'm happier at the end of the day with paper and uh, a pen and you know, a bottle of ink rather than a screen. I, I do use it. I can. Uh, I use a word processor every day and I use the internet. And it's very useful. But there's a part of me that's kind of a purist and likes to just sit and, uh, oh, I don't know, turn pages. Yeah, I was going to ask you too. Are you, are you still an avid reader, and what what kind of books are you reading today? I yeah, I read all the time. I read you know usually things like detective fiction. I read Lee Child, for example, but I also read a lot of history. I mean, I'm doing a lot on the ancient Greeks and Romans at the moment, uh, which is fantastic. And there's, I was reading something the other day, and they said you know I think it was Thucydides. He said in oh, something like in 2,000 years, people will think that Athens was more important than Sparta because Athens built all these amazing buildings and the Spartans didn't. But the reason the Spartans didn't is because, as they said, we are the walls, we are the monuments. They didn't need to build walls because no one could come and attack them because of who they were. And that's, that's an amazing bit of wisdom that's yeah, been staying yeah. with me today. You know, this is well, 2,000 years from now, they look back on us and, you know, what will they remember? A lot of things will have disappeared, but that doesn't mean that it isn't important and that it wasn't important back then. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. I'm an avid reader myself. I read at least a book a week, and, uh, you know, I go back and forth between, like, different styles of philosophy, history, and then biographies. I just got done reading, uh, uh, you know, Nikola Tesla's autobiography and a couple of books on him, so mm -hmm. I was able to... You know, it's amazing how so many people, when you have these conversations, they never heard of some of these people that you read about, and it's, uh, it's, it feels like it's lost a lot. Well, there's always that sense that you, you can never quite keep up, that every generation loses a bit and gains something at the other end. So that general knowledge just changes like a great ball rolling through the generations. But at the same time, I think that stories, certain stories are important enough to be remembered. I used to actually say that to my kids, that history was the, you know, the, the bits we needed to remember with all the rest lost. Because we tend not to remember how many times a, a king brushed his teeth, if he ever brushed his teeth or washed at all. But we do remember the key battle where he fought from morning to night in snow. Battle of Tout in February 1461. I mean, with the king who was six foot four, which is like a blooming Goliath in those days. 
can remember those details because he was fighting after his father had been killed and he was enraged all day. <laughs> and that's the kind of story I needed to, uh, to be inspired by. I don't particularly mind if I've missed some of the, uh, the uh, lesser known aspects of it. I think we'll keep the good stuff because that's what, you know, that's what we have to. Yeah, that's awesome, and I love the book. Uh, I love both of them here. And where where can my listeners where can they find a copy of the books? And um, uh, are you planning on a third book? You know, I, I wasn't when I started this one, but we came up with the title "The Double Dangerous," like a double dare. And then, of course, it kind of you know couldn't help but think of the triple dangerous. But we'll have to see. The uh, publishers don't know. I'm thinking about that. It'll be out. I think it is out uh, this month, and it'll it'll be out in all the usual outlets, and of course, on the beloved internet, and uh, should be anywhere. Any good good bookshops everywhere. Yeah, is the book in uh, digital print, in ebook as well, or just a hard copy? No, at the moment, there are no plans for that. I resisted that for the the sort of fairly obvious reason that it felt a bit dishonest to be doing an ebook version of the original Dangerous book. I resisted that for years and then discovered that someone had, uh, oh, what's the word, pirated it so that there was an e-book out there anyway. So in that case, I said, oh, well, what the heck, we might as well put one out, which was very <laughs> frustrating. That's a, that's a whole new aspect of the conversation. But at the moment, as far as I know, it's just uh, paper only. I wanted a big, heavy hardback that you could uh, stick in a rucksack and take to school with you or read in the treehouse or climb a tree and sit and just read the thing. I wanted to get scuffed and and dirty and splashed with mud. It's a, an outdoor sort of a book, and it's pretty robust. The pages are stitched in. It should be uh, it should survive a real beating. Yeah, I love it. I'm holding a co- I'm holding a copy of it right now. I love it. My my 13 year old is devouring it now. So uh, I think it's good stuff. <laughs> Last thing, last thing I want to hit you with here, Con. I love to ask all yeah. the dads that I get on the podcast. What type of advice do you have for that new father or for that about to be dad who's out there listening? Ah, uh, I. I I mean, the simplest thing is just to remind them that their job is important, that they need to be there and they need to be patient. And it's a lifetime's work, but it's completely worth doing. Simple as that. Yeah, very well said. I love the message. This has been a lot of fun for me. i got to say, Con Ingleton, you're a first-class father all the way, and thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on First Class Fatherhood. Thank you very much. That was great fun. Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. i got to give a special thank you once again to Con Igledon for giving me a few minutes of his time here. That was so cool. Please hit me up on Twitter, guys, or drop me a DM on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. I always love to read your feedback. Lock it in. Tomorrow we're going to close out the week with a solid guest, a first-class father, a former Navy SEAL-turned-night stalker pilot, Michael Rutledge, joins me here tomorrow. So make sure you don't miss out on that. It will be my last episode before I break it off for the holiday week. So I hope you will join me. That's all I got for you guys today. I'm Alec Lace. Thank you for listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first class fathers. Your half-truths and tales as tall as a tree's